<clears throat> well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Enjoying the sunshine? We are, uh, as Jordan mentioned, we're in Galatians, and we're going we're gonna to finish out Galatians today. We, uh, we started Galatians uh, back in November, and we, we had a little bit of a, a, a hiatus from Galatians just due to COVID and whatnot. Um, but we're finishing out James, or uh, sorry, Galatians today, uh, and Galatians has been a really cool, uh, a really cool study. It's been a good, a good book. Um, <clears throat> Paul planted churches in the region of Galatia, uh, and after Paul had gone away, people had come in after him and had began uh, to preach a different gospel uh, than what Paul had initially preached, and he'd heard about it, and so he wrote this letter. Uh, to the churches in the region of Galatia to remind them uh, of the authentic gospel message uh, with which he started the churches in this area. And so kind of the theme of Galatians from beginning to end has been uh, the idea of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, the message of the gospel is not Jesus plus something else. The message of the gospel is uh, entirely not what you do for God, but what God in Christ has done for you that you could and would never do for yourself. And so as Paul finishes out uh, this letter today, he reminds us, uh, he kind of sums up the book as he's uh, closing out his letter. And so uh, I want to look at a couple of different things today uh, out of the passage. I want to look at this idea of an external religion uh, versus the idea of an internal faith. External religion uh, versus an uh, internal faith. And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. So the last little chunk of the book. Paul starts off in verse 11 and he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, uh, history tells us that, uh, that Paul didn't have very good eyesight, um, and it was thought that he often would have somebody scribe his letters for him. He would dictate his letters, and somebody else would write them. And so in this final portion of the book, he's making reference to with what large letters that he's writing with his own hand. Now, I don't know if this is the point in the letter where he reaches over to the scribe and says, hey, let me take the pen. Let me write this, these last couple of sentences to the letter, uh, or if he had written the whole letter himself. But whatever the case is, this is important, what Paul is about to say, because he's making mention that he's actually got the pen in his hand and he's writing with large letters. Now, you might imagine a scroll, right? Things back in, back in this day were written on scrolls. Um, and, and I would guess, like, you'd probably try to fit as much on a scroll as you can just to keep the length of the scroll from being, you know, a mile long. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, decides to write with pretty big letters. Now, I don't know how many of you guys um, participate in discussions online. Maybe you participate in a discussion on Facebook. Maybe, uh, I don't know if chat rooms are even still a thing. Do people even go to chat rooms anymore? But, but if you participate or if you email, uh, have you ever typed part of your discussion in all caps? If you have, it's usually because you're upset about something or you're wanting to get your point across. Like if you type your message in all caps, it's kind of like you're raising your voice to make a point. Right in, in, in a virtual setting. This is what Paul is doing here. Right, He's writing with large, bold letters in order to make a point as he closes out this letter. And in verse 12, he says that it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, you might remember when Paul started out this letter, uh, the Judaizers who came in behind him brought in this message that not enough that you also must uh, become circumcised. And Paul is writing this letter in part to combat this idea that you have to do anything uh, in order to earn a standing or earn favor with God. And so as he closes out the letter, he's reminding his hearers or those who are reading this, uh, that it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would have you circumcised. And so here's what I, what I mean when I talk about an external religion. Paul is combating this idea uh, that you have to do anything, as I've already said, to earn favor with God. Christianity is not about making a good showing in the flesh. But sometimes we can pretty easily act as though it were. I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself about the fact that, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I can't go to certain establishments because I'm a Christian. Uh, because I'm a Christian, I, I can't or shouldn't watch certain movies. Uh, because I'm a Christian, I, I, I can't or I shouldn't say some of certain words that I should just avoid entirely. And maybe there's some truth to that, but, but we pretty quickly and pretty easily can make our Christianity about the things that we do and don't do. And we're pretty good about, at least in our, in our minds, keeping a couple of lists going. We're pretty good about keeping this list of, of here's all the things as a good Christian that I should do, right? I should go to church, should go to Bible study, uh, should help people right? Give to worthy causes. And, and then we keep this other list over here. Here's the things that I shouldn't do, right? Shouldn't, shouldn't watch inappropriate movies. Shouldn't say inappropriate words. Shouldn't hang out with, with people that are going to drag me down, right? And we, and we keep these lists and our faith pretty quickly becomes about the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And it's important that we understand that this is part of what Paul is combating in his letter to the Galatians, that, that, Christianity is not necessarily about the things that you do and the things that you don't do. Now, to be clear, the Bible does tell us here are ways that you should live and here are ways that you shouldn't live. So I'm not throwing that out entirely. But, but this is not primarily what our faith is about. And Paul talks about that those who make it about that, that ultimately they're just wanting to have a good showing in the flesh. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they would stand out on the corners and they would pray and they would do their things in order that they would be seen by others. Right? Have you, have you ever done a good deed just so others would see you do it? We've, we've probably all been there. Right? We, we all like to get a pat on the back when we do something good. Right? We all like to be recognized when we do something noble or commendable. But this is not primarily what the Christian faith is about. Paul goes on, not only is it that these people want to make a good showing in the flesh, but they're also trying to make a good showing in the flesh for a few reasons. And one of those reasons is so that they would avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so there's this idea of fear or self-preservation that's driven by fear. How, how many of us have ever thought to ourselves in a particular moment, maybe, maybe it's at the Thanksgiving dinner table, maybe you're with your family, maybe with your friends and, and you have an opportunity. Somebody says something about 
the church. Somebody says something about God. Somebody has a question and you have an opportunity to interject some gospel truth into a conversation. And how many of those moments have we backed off from saying something that maybe we know that we ought to say out of fear or out of self-preservation, right? We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to ruffle feathers. Therefore we, we shrink back sometimes from declaring the truth of the gospel. And Paul is reminding us here that there's, there's a difference. There's an opposition between making a good showing in the flesh and being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Those are two things I think that Paul would say are mutually exclusive. In other words, you can't good showing in the flesh and at the same time be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Those, those two things don't exist in the same world. Jesus made mention that, that because the world has hated him, the world is by extension going to hate those who follow Christ. And so living for Christ necessarily brings persecution. Living for Christ necessarily ruffles feathers of those in the world. Living for Christ necessarily rocks the boat. Yet we spend a lot of time and effort and energy in, in our external religion to make a good showing in the flesh so that we avoid those things entirely. The other thing that Paul says is that those, those who would make a good showing in the flesh, those who would, who would add something to the truth of the gospel, in this case, such as circumcision, he says, those people, they don't even keep the law themselves. Those people that would demand of you that you keep the law, they don't even keep the law themselves. And so there's this idea of, of a hypocrisy that really uh, ultimately leads to a self-deception. Hypocrisy meaning that, that someone would say one thing and do another. Someone would in one breath say that I have faith in Christ. I have faith in what God has done for me in Christ. And then in another breath say, here are the things that I have to do in order to earn a right standing or earn favor with God. It's, it's saying one thing and living in another way entirely. And, and Paul would call that hypocrisy. And, and, and he would say that you have deceived yourself if you choose to live that way. And then he talks about boasting in the flesh, which we would call this pride uh, or self-promotion. So we have self-preservation, self-deception and self-promotion that are all kind of entangled in this idea of an external religion. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I'm not going to boast in my flesh. I'm not going to boast in my accomplishments. I'm not going to boast in my ability to do anything because ultimately what matters is not what I do for God, but what God in Christ has done for me. And this is Paul is closing out the letters, reminding us, reminding us that our Christianity is built what we do, but it's built entirely upon what God has done. He goes on to say that as a result of this, the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. In other words, Paul is making this point that there, there is something that happens when we come to Christ, when we follow Christ, we, in a sense, become at odds with the world around us. The psalmist would tell us that nobody seeks God. Not one person seeks God. 
The fact that you and I have a relationship with Christ is because he came to us, not because we came to him. That he has initiated, his love has initiated relationship with us, with you and I who are broken and flawed people. And our love for him is a response to his initiatory love. No one seeks him. And so Paul tells us that when, when God seeks us and we come to him, when we respond to his love, we become at odds with the world who is not out there looking to have a relationship with God. The apostle John in his first epistle would, would write in first John two fifteen to 17, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so there's a dividing line in the sand, if you will, between those who follow Christ and those who follow the ways of this world. And John reminds us that, that this world, these things that, that we chase after, the, the gratification that we chase after in the here and the now, it, it's passing away. And there, there's going to be a day where, where all of this, all of this is gone. It's passing away. And he gives us this warning about the desires of the flesh, the things that, that, that make us feel good the desires of the eyes, the things that we see and that we, that we want so desperately and the pride of life, this idea to boast in all that we've been able to accomplish here in this world. He warns us about those things and says, those aren't from the father. Your external religion, your effort and your energy put in trying to please God, that that's not from the father. There's only one person that's pleased God. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. And any effort that we undertake to try to please God so that he would love us so that we would earn his favor. It's an exercise in futility. So Paul tells us that being, being a follower of Christ means that, that we are crucified to the world and that the world is crucified to us, that, that we're no longer on the same trajectory as those who don't follow Christ. We're as Christians on a different trajectory entirely. He says in verse 15, that neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In other words, it doesn't so much matter what you do or what you don't do that earns you favor with God. It's the fact that you have been made a new creation because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. In second Corinthians chapter five, verses 17 to 21, the apostle Paul would write that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
these few short verses, the Apostle Paul very, very succinctly gives us the message of the gospel. That if you're sitting here today and you are in Christ, in other words, if you're sitting here today and you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, then Paul tells us that, that you're a new creation. The, the old you who wasn't a follower of Christ, you're not that person anymore. Now, that's not to say that that old person doesn't rear its ugly head from time to time and that we don't battle with old desires and fleshly desires. That's certainly true in my life. I'm sure it is in yours. But what Paul is reminding us of is that the only thing that matters as it pertains to our faith in God is what Christ has done. And that as we have come to him, he's made us into a new creation and he's given us new desires. And maybe some of you can relate to that if um, <clears throat> you're sitting here today and you could say that I used to desire to live a certain way and I don't desire to live that way anymore. That's God's work in you. The work of God in your life that has taken away your old desires and given you new desires. The old desires have passed away. It's all from God. And because that's true, you and I, those who would profess faith in Christ, are now ambassadors for Christ. God has, has given us a mission, if you will, to be ambassadors for Christ throughout the world. That as we leave here today, that we go out to wherever we go, we go to our homes, we go to our workplaces, we go to our neighborhoods. And we are representatives of Christ, who he is and what he's done for us as we are going throughout the world. And we're not out there proclaiming a message to the world that you better get your act together. That's not the message of the gospel. We're proclaiming a message to the world that says, this is who Christ is and this is what Christ has done. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. And Paul says that all who walk by this rule, in other words, to all who understand the truth of the gospel, he says, peace and mercy be upon the Israel of God. <clears throat> now that seems like kind of an odd statement. What does he, what does he mean by this? Who is the Israel of God? What, what rule is he talking about that we walk by? I've just spent some time telling you, like, it's not about the rules. And here's Paul saying, you got to walk by this rule. <laughs> What Paul is saying is that when we walk by belief in Christ, in other words, when we have a faith that's internal to us, not a religion that's external, not a religion that's about looking good, acting good, getting our act together, being seen by everybody else. But when we have a faith that's internal to us, when we come into an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that, that message, that truth, it, it gets in our bones and it works its way from the inside out. It's not simply an external thing where, where we might feel like we're slapping a new really needed it. A faith that's internal to us works its way from the inside out. And Paul says, peace and mercy be upon the Israel of God. Now, Israel... Let's back up into the Old Testament for just a moment here. God, God identifies himself throughout the Old Testament by saying that he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Abraham, we know that he did some pretty amazing things at God's direction. Isaac did some amazing things at God's direction. Jacob, I don't know if you've ever read much about the life of Jacob. This guy was a dirtbag. Jacob was a scoundrel. There was not 
much redeeming about Jacob. Matter of fact, when he was when he was born, he came out of the womb grabbing the heel of his twin brother, and so they named him Jacob, and that name means heel grabber. And the connotation to it is that he's a conniver. Like it's a, a very negative connotation to the name Jacob. And and God chose Jacob, which just boggles my mind. God chose Jacob. And not only did God choose him, but but God's identified himself as being the God of Jacob. Of all of the people in the Old Testament that God could have said, I'm the God of that guy. If it were me, Jacob would be pretty low on my list. Yet God says, like, I'm, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the conniver. I'm the God of the heat grabber. And there came a Jacob's life where, where God gave him a new name. He says, no, your, your name isn't Jacob anymore. Your name is Israel. And Israel means one who strives with God. So there's no negative connotation to that at all. And so the nation of Israel, right? Jacob was the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And so when Paul says, peace and mercy be upon the Israel of God, he's talking about the people who strive with God. Peace and mercy be with the people who strive with God. Not the people who fight against God. Not the people who, who embrace the ideology of this world, not the people who embrace the desires of their eyes, the desires of their flesh, the pride of life, but the people who strive with God, not the people who have an external religion, but the people who have an internal faith, peace and mercy be with those people. Now, what do you think of when you think of peace? And what do you think of when you think of mercy? You might think of peace as having the house to yourself. That's kind of nice sometimes, isn't it? Everybody's gone and the house is quiet. Watch wherever you want to watch on TV, take a nap, you know, whatever that's, that's peaceful. Maybe you're thinking about taking a relaxing bath with some candles lit. That's peaceful. Maybe you're thinking about a, a walk along the river. That's, that's peaceful. When the Bible talks about the peace of God, it's, it's talking about something far greater than whatever peace that you're thinking of right now. It's talking about, about a peace that's far greater than walking along the river, having the house to yourself, taking a nice bath. The Bible talks about peace. It's talking about a peace that we can't even wrap our minds around because God is infinite and we're finite, right? We have a beginning and an end. God has no beginning and no end. We, we can't understand the kind of peace that God brings. The Bible says that it's a peace that passes all understanding. Like you can try to understand it, but you can't this side of heaven. And when the Bible talks about mercy, it's talking about God withholding from us judgment that we rightfully deserve, right? Do you know that, that you are a sinner, that I'm a sinner and that we rightfully deserve the wrath of God? We, we deserve to be punished because of our sin against God. We deserve it. There's no questions asked. Yet God shows mercy. God withholds that from us. And not only does he withhold that from us, but he shows us grace. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Paul, as he's closing out his letter, is, is reminding the readers, reminding the hearers that your Christian faith, is it's not an external religion. It's not about what you do or don't do for God that earns you favor or that earns you any kind of standing. Christianity is not about the Christian. Christianity is about the Christ. 
It's not about what the Christian does or doesn't do, but it's about what the Christ has already done. And so Galatians, Galatians really is a call to belief in the gospel. You ever heard the, the Bible, the acronym for the Bible referred to as basic instructions before leaving earth? I hate that. Hope that is a step on any toes, but I hate that. The, Bi the Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is not a book that we look at to say, again, let's here's the list of the things I shouldn't do. And here's a list of the things I should do that. That's not what the Bible is about. And it's not what Galatians is about. As Pastor David mentioned, we're getting ready to, to jump into the book of James. And there's a lot of things in the book of the James in the book of James. They do this and don't do this, right? We're, we're going to get into that. So as I said before, I don't want to, we don't want to throw those things out entirely, but the message of the gospel is not do this and don't do that. The message of the gospel is Christ has done for you what you could and would never do to yourself. And this is a call to believe in who Christ is and a call to believe in what Christ has done. And when we believe, then the things that we do and the things that we don't do, to borrow a phrase from Pastor Brent, don't come out of a sense of duty. They don't come out of a sense of, I have to do these things or not do these things so God won't be mad at me. But they come more out of a sense of delight in who God is and what he's done for us. And we'll unpack that more, delve into the book of James. But for now... In verse 17, Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We know that Paul had a rough go. From the moment that Paul came to faith in Christ, his life became difficult. Right, Paul, he was somebody in the world before he came to know Christ. He was respected. He was revered. He was even feared by many. Educated guy, smart. He was an intellect. Paul came to Christ and from the moment that he came to Christ, his life got way more difficult because he, he was one that formerly persecuted the church. Talk about a new creation, right? Paul was a persecutor of the church and then he came to Christ and he became persecuted for the church because of the work of Christ in him. And so he's closing out his letter asking that no one cause him trouble because of his persecution for the church. Now you would look at a guy like Paul and, and the people of his day may have looked at him and said, you know what? I, I don't know if I believe what this guy is peddling, but there's no question that he does because of what he's willing to go through for the sake of the gospel. In second Corinthians 11, Paul says this, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And all of this was not because Paul was a glutton. All of this was because... 
Paul had this internal faith, this internal belief in the gospel that was in his bones. And he couldn't help but preach the message. And if that meant danger, if that meant toil, if that meant sleepless nights, if that meant hunger, if that meant getting beat up, if that meant getting stoned, if that meant wrecking in every ship that he ever got on, so be it. But then he makes this amazing statement after all of this. And then he says, and apart from other things, in addition to all these other things, all this danger, all this, all this horrible stuff, he says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. So he said, like, I'm, I'm in danger everywhere I go. Hardships everywhere I go. Persecution around every corner. Hunger, thirst, sleepless nights, danger. But you know what's worse? Is that I have anxiety for the churches. I can't help but worry about the churches that I've planted, that they're staying true to the authentic message of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. External religion is a very selfish thing. And internal faith, as we see here, is very selfless. Very selfless. Paul here has more concern for the churches and their fidelity to the gospel than he does even for his own life. That, that blows my mind. Right? I, I have concern for the churches, but, but not like Paul does. I wish I could say that I do, but I don't. I have a lot of concern for my own life, probably just like you do. There's something about the message of the gospel that if somebody like Paul were, were to live in this way, to go to such great lengths to get that message out there, there's got to be something to it. Here again, you might look at a guy like Paul and think this dude's crazy. There are times that like I read something like what I just read and I just think, what in the world? Like what causes a man to do this? And it's belief. It's an internal faith that's in his bones. It's an internal faith, a belief in the gospel that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done, that he'll do what he says he's going to do. And there's nothing else in life that's more important, nothing else that matters more than that. And when you begin to compare that to my own efforts to look good, my own efforts to be good, my own efforts to do good, it pales in comparison to what Christ has done for me that I could and would never do for myself. And then Paul ends the letter's final words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. Amen. You might remember Paul starts his letter in Galatians one verse three, grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends the letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. So he bookends this letter with the idea of God's grace. Right. A moment ago, we talked about God's mercy, right? God withholding judgment from us that we rightfully deserve that we've earned. This idea of grace is God's unmerited favor. God doing for us things that we could and would never do for ourselves that we don't deserve, that we can't earn. 
Yet he does for us anyway. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul's letter is bookended with grace. And there's something about experiencing the grace of God that is life changing, right? We can talk about the grace of God all day long. We can talk about God's unmerited favor to us. But when you experience it, when you experience the grace of God, when you come into a knowledge of the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes things. We talk about how Paul was a changed man. It's because he experienced the grace of God that caused him to go from being a persecutor of the church to being persecuted for the church. The grace of God changes our whole perspective on life. It changes what's important to us. And as I've said, this realization, it gets in our bones and it becomes part of who we are. and We can't help but preach the good news of the gospel because of the grace of God that we have experienced. And so, so what does all this mean to us? This is, this is all well and good to talk about this, but what does all this mean as we close out the book of Galatians? <clears throat> Authentic faith in Christ is not an external religion. Authentic faith in Christ does not lead us to be better list keepers of the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. Faith in Christ is not, as I mentioned before, putting a new coat of paint on a house that needs to be painted. That's not authentic faith in Christ. Authentic faith in Christ is not looking at the Bible as a rule book or a book of rules to be followed. Faith isn't even inside of you. Did you know that? Faith isn't even inside of you. Faith is given to us. It's granted to us by God. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus Christ is the author of, of our faith. Faith originates with him and it's a gift that he gives to you and he gives to me. There are things in our life that we can certainly do to cultivate our faith, but, but it doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. God grants us faith and this faith works its way from the inside out. It works its way from into our bones outside into the way that we live. And so once again, Paul's letter to the Galatians isn't a call to be a better rule follower. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a call to belief. It's a call to believe by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Authentic faith in Christ produces, as I've said before, not, not a duty, not a duty to try harder to be better, but a delight in who Christ is and what Christ has done. And, and, and I wish we had more time to unpack that idea today. We just don't. But if you're here today and, you, and you've never believed, if you've never put your faith in Christ, today is the day for faith in Christ. Now, I can stand up here today and I can say that, for example, I believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. That's a true fact. I can believe that in my head, but, but does it change my life in any way whatsoever? No. When the Bible calls us to belief, it's a belief that alters our life. And, and maybe, I don't want to get hung up on semantics, but maybe, maybe that's the difference between belief and faith. Belief is maybe something that we understand to be true intellectually. Faith is something that works its way from the inside out that causes our life to be different because of that truth. And so we would simply call you today to believe in the gospel, whether it's for the first time that you've ever believed in the gospel or if you're like me, where 
kind of day, day by day, maybe even moment by moment, I have to remind myself about belief in the gospel. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I might even reject in a given moment the truth of the gospel because maybe I want some, some temporary pleasure so badly. And so we always have to come back to belief in the gospel and a belief that, that's not just a head knowledge, but a belief that that's in our bones that works its way from the inside out. And so, so as we close out this letter, I would simply call any and all here today to believe in the gospel. Do you believe, have you put your faith in Christ, not in what you can do for him because that, that doesn't matter, but in what he has done for you that you could and would never do for yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful today. <clears throat> grateful that you love us and grateful that you are merciful. We're grateful for grace. We're grateful that you, that you put up with us, uh, even in the times when we don't believe, in the times that we don't uh, live the way that we say that we ought to live, the times that we uh, are hypocritical, the times that we're self-preserving, God, thank you for putting up with us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for loving us. I would pray for all of us today, God, that you would give us um, measures of belief in our lives that would cause us to live differently, that would cause us to live lives that glorify you, that would cause us to live lives that would shine the light of the gospel as we go out into the different parts of the community in which we live and in which we work. And that you would help us to continually be reminded that you have saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.